0: Hello, it's Fiona from the Indie Live podcast team here. We have a bonus podcast for you today, which is the press conference which the First Minister has just given to launch the second of the series of papers, Building a New Scotland. This one is called Renewing Democracy Through Independence, and it includes a presentation from the First Minister and then Q&A with the press. Good morning. Welcome, uh, everybody. Thank you for coming along today. Um, Today, we are launching the second in the Building a New Scotland series of papers, uh, refreshing the case for independence. Uh, Just to recap, in the months ahead, we intend to cover currency, public finances and the economy, social security and pensions, defence and a range of other issues that are all intended to fully inform the choice on independence. Uh, Today's paper though focuses on democracy and democratic renewal. It exposes the significant and increasing democratic deficit that Scotland suffers as part of the union. It shows that Far from being abstract, this deficit has real consequences for individuals, families and businesses from the impact of austerity to the implications of a Brexit that Scotland did not vote for. And it argues that only independence can strengthen and embed democracy in Scotland and so provide a secure foundation from which to overcome challenges and fulfil our potential. Now, this discussion could not be more timely. The democratic deficit that Scotland faces is, of course, not a new or a recent phenomenon, but the evidence of it now is arguably starker than it has ever been. A Prime Minister with no democratic endorsement whatsoever from Scotland will be replaced by another Prime Minister that Scotland hasn't voted for, indeed wouldn't vote for, even if we were given the opportunity. And the change of Tory leader seems virtually certain to be accompanied by a shift even further to the right. And that means, of course, a shift even further away from the mainstream of Scottish opinion and values. A race to the bottom on tax, cuts to public services and support for families, more posturing over Brexit, hurting businesses and trade, abandonment of the fights against climate change and a toxic, indeed wholly manufactured, culture war putting equalities and human rights protections at risk. We may be just a few days into this Tory leadership contest, but it is already crystal clear that the issues Scotland is focused on, tackling child poverty, supporting NHS recovery, building a fairer economy, and making a just transition to net zero, will be hindered, not helped, by whoever becomes Prime Minister in the weeks ahead. And added to all of that, the principle which is long accepted until now that the UK is a voluntary union of nations within which Scotland has the right to self-determination is being torn to shreds. Indeed all Scotland hears from UK politicians these days is democracy denial. They trade opinions on how many years it should be before Westminster might allow us to make a democratic choice about our own future. The fact that the Scottish people have repeatedly elected a majority in the Scottish Parliament committed to an independence referendum is treated as immaterial. You don't have to be a supporter of Scottish independence to know that that is not democracy. Now that attitude is not surprising from Tories. And if it was just the Conservatives, it might matter less given the political death spiral they appear to be in. But these days, where the Tories go, Labour seems obliged to follow. Uh, So scared is Labour of Tory attacks from the right, and so obsessed with neutralising, rather than standing up to these attacks, that they are becoming a pale imitation of the Tories, rather than a real alternative. Now, that has implications for the direction of the UK as a whole and across the spectrum of social and economic policy. But here's what it means for Scotland. Uh, This is Labour's pitch to Scotland in a nutshell. To help Labour win in England, Scotland must suck up what we did not vote for, Brexit, and all of its dire consequences must be accepted with no possible route back into the EU or even the single market. But what we did vote for, what we have repeatedly voted for, an independence referendum, and the possibility of a better alternative will be blocked by Labour in all circumstances and for all time. Just as in 2014 they are teaming up with the Tories to frustrate the will of the Scottish people. You know, earlier this week we even had the grotesque spectacle of a Labour MP actually bragging about councillors in Edinburgh being suspended for refusing to back the Tories over the SNP. Uh, Labour's positions are nothing to do with the interests or the democratic wishes of Scotland. They are cynical political calculations based on. In my view, the deeply misguided belief that the way back to power is Johnson's legacy here, to come, the democratic deficit that we face as part of the UK. Parties and policies that we reject forced upon us, but the democratic right to choose an alternative denied to us. And it underlines this point. Scotland really doesn't need, nor does it want, a pale imitation of, or a temporary respite from Tory government. Scotland needs the real and the permanent alternative that only independence offers. Because stark, though it is now, the democratic deficit isn't new. As today's paper sets out, it has existed over decades. Devolution has helped mitigate it, but it has not removed it. And that links, of course, back to the key theme of the first paper in this series. In that, we presented the extent to which on a range of economic and social measures, neighbouring independent countries, similar in many ways to Scotland, are outperforming the UK. And we highlighted the fact that Scotland, as part of the UK, is effectively locked in to that underperformance, despite all of the advantages we enjoy in human and natural resources. I firmly believe that it is only with the democratic powers to take the key decisions affecting our lives here that we can close that gap and reach our potential. And that of course is a key point. Independence is not separate from bread and butter issues, it is all about those issues. Independence is about building a stronger and fairer economy, it is about protecting the NHS and public services. It is about tackling the cost of living and ensuring that in this energy-rich country, the cost of heating our homes doesn't plunge people into dire poverty. It is about safeguarding the climate, human rights, and our place in the world. So in this paper, we set out where Scotland stands democratically, and how that impacts on our economy and society. We show how out of sync Scotland's governance by Westminster is with our voting patterns and democratic choices, not just now, but over the long term. Uh, Not once in my entire lifetime have the Tories won a majority or even plurality of seats in Scotland. And yet for around two thirds of my lifetime, Scotland has had to thole Tory prime ministers and policies. That is not democracy. Nor is it abstract austerity, Brexit, anti-immigration measures. These are all policies we didn't vote for in Scotland, but which are damaging lives and living standards across our country. Finally, and fundamentally, this paper makes the case that the democratic deficit cannot be fixed within a system founded on the principle of Westminster sovereignty. There is no constitutional reform in the UK that cannot be overturned or undermined on the whim of a Westminster majority. And we have seen that very clearly since the Brexit vote in 2016. Assertions of Westminster authority have become ever more pronounced and the lack of institutional safeguards for devolution ever more obvious. Key Westminster decisions on Brexit, energy, social security, immigration, and much more besides, are having profound and damaging effects on Scotland. There are no constitutional safeguards to properly protect the people of Scotland from these decisions. Even the Seoul Convention, which was of course designed to ensure that UK governments and Parliament did not legislate on devolved matters without the consent of the Scottish Parliament, has been completely and utterly trashed. Uh, Prior to Brexit, the exercise of Westminster sovereignty to frustrate Scottish Parliament decisions tended to be by financial means only. The refusal to transfer funds in relation to free personal care, for example, in the earlier days of the Scottish Parliament. But since 2016, Westminster has legislated against the express wishes of Holyrood, not once or even twice, but on no fewer than seven occasions. And So it is in this light, I think, uh, that pledges of more devolution or even a legal duty to cooperate as per the uh, pathetically flimsy proposal put forward by Labour last week must be seen. Because even if the intention to deliver was in any way credible, it doesn't resolve the democratic deficit because ultimate power is retained by Westminster. And that really is the fundamental problem. No UK government of any party has ever shown the appetite for the fundamental UK-wide reform required to guarantee self-government for Scotland within the UK, because that would require Westminster to accept that it is not sovereign on all issues at all times, and I simply cannot see that ever happening. So, In fact, independence is not just the best route to renewing and securing democracy in Scotland, to ensuring that we get governments we vote for, that our democratically elected parliament cannot be overridden and undermined, and that we have a secure foundation on which to build the economic and social future that we want. Uh, Independence is not just the best route to all of that, independence is the only credible route to that which is why offering Scotland the choice of independence, particularly in the context we are in today, is essential. So I'll end by reiterating my commitment to do exactly that, and in so doing to deliver on the mandate of the Scottish people. The Lord Advocate has now referred to the Supreme Court the question of whether Scottish Parliament legislation Providing for an independence referendum without a Section 30 order relates to a reserve matter. This is intended to put the lawfulness of a referendum beyond doubt. It will also deny the Westminster establishment the ability to take refuge in endless arguments about process as a means of avoiding the substantive debate on independence. Now, I hope the Court's decision will clear the path to a referendum on the 19th of October next year. That is what we are planning for. Of course, we cannot preclude the possibility that Westminster will succeed in blocking the route to a referendum, but that cannot, must not, and will not be allowed to mean that they succeed in blocking the right of the Scottish people to have our say on independence. So while we hope and plan for a referendum. This should also be clear. If a referendum is blocked by Westminster, we will put the choice to the people of Scotland in the general election. Either way, Scotland will have a choice. And not only will democracy then prevail, it will become the foundation stone on which we build a better nation. Thank you very much indeed for listening. I am now going to take questions from uh, the media here Uh, We've got a large number of attendees so I'm going to try and get through as many of these questions as possible. Um, I'll start with Glen Campbell from the BBC. First Minister, is it fair for your opponents to question your commitment to democracy when you do not accept the outcome of the 2014 referendum or indeed the 2016 Brexit vote? No, it's not fair, and uh, neither of the things you've just put to me there are true. Uh, The outcome of the 2014 referendum was accepted. Um, The evidence of that is Scotland is not independent. Um, And the outcome of the Brexit vote in Scotland uh, was that Scotland wanted to remain in the EU. That has not been honoured by UK parties and governments because Scotland is out uh, of the EU. Uh, My stance has been that the outcome of that referendum should be honoured, because Scotland uh, should have remained within the European Union. Um, But the more fundamental uh, point, I guess, in relation to uh, an independence referendum, is that while the outcome of 2014 has been honoured and respected, people in a democracy have the right to change their minds, uh, and to change their minds particularly when circumstances change. And it's actually the interplay between the 2014 referendum and the 2016 Brexit referendum uh, that presents one of the biggest changes in circumstances. You know, you covered the independence referendum closely. Uh, You know that one of the key planks of the No Campaign was EU membership. Uh, It was said in terms to people in Scotland that if we voted for independence, uh, our membership of the European Union would be at risk. In fact, they went further and said, we would lose membership of the European Union. That has happened because uh, we are not independent. And the UK as it existed in 2014, a UK inside the European Union is very different now because it is a UK outside of the European Union. There have been many other changes since 2014, which is uh, getting close to a decade ago, not least the experience uh, and the chaos of Boris Johnson as. Prime Minister, a contest now to replace him as Prime Minister by somebody else Scotland will not have voted for who's going to take uh, the politics of the UK, I uh, predict, even further uh, to the right. So circumstances change and we live in a democracy. Democracy is not a moment of time, uh, nor can it ever be the prisoner of any politician, whether that is me, Boris Johnson, whoever comes after him, Keir Starmer, or anyone else Scotland has a right to self-determination and a right to choose its own future uh, Katie Hunter. perhaps it's silly of me to ask who you would like <laughs> to be the con- next uh, prime Minister the next Conservative Party leader but from your point of view who is the the least worst option and um, they all look pretty bad uh, to me you must rank them. um I, I don't I don't it's not for me to rank them you know there's a basic democratic point here that is particularly acute perhaps for Scotland because as I said earlier on and you know I'm going to say this I think without fear of contradiction or serious contradiction Scotland wouldn't elect any of them uh, as Prime Minister Um, and I think we can conclude that from Scotland's voting patterns over a, a very long period of time but even across the UK hardly anybody is getting to vote at all on who succeeds Boris Johnson. What's the UK membership of the the Conservative Party? A couple of hundred thousand or something. So, you know, this is a deeply undemocratic process to uh, elect uh, a prime minister in the circumstances uh, that the UK is in uh, just now. Um, I think all of them will move the Tories to the right. And that is quite a big statement because the Tories are certainly in terms of the Scottish mainstream, pretty right uh, wing already. And none of them, seem to have anything to offer Scotland except democracy denial. Um, So I don't see any of them offering anything positive for Scotland at all, and that's the problem. Scotland is facing yet another Prime Minister, the fourth in my time as First Minister, uh, that we haven't voted for, would not vote for, and that will impose policies that we don't support. That is the argument, or one of the arguments, for independence in a nutshell. Uh, Ewan Petrie from SCV. First Minister, I I appreciate your preferred option is a referendum, but if it comes to a de facto referendum through a Westminster general election, how can you guarantee a 50% share of the vote in that would lead to independence? Well, look, I'll set out if we are in this scenario, because you're right, Ewan, it's not my preferred scenario. I don't think it should be anybody's preferred scenario. We have precedent in Scotland that the way to decide... The question of independence and the way to decide significant constitutional issues is through a referendum. I think whether you support or oppose independence, I think there should be an acceptance that that is the the correct, appropriate, legitimate democratic route. That's the route I want us to take. Uh, But others are seeking to block that route. And if they succeed, I hope we don't, but if they succeed in blocking that route, then the choice for me is to just accept that Scotland uh, has no right to self-determination and doesn't have a say, or to find another route through which the people of Scotland can express their views. And that will be... uh, a general election because it is in my view unthinkable that we just don't get the opportunity to express our views now if we are in that scenario post the judgment of the supreme court and i'm not going to uh, second guess that these are matters now for the court to decide i will set out in uh, in detail exactly what the proposition we're going to put to uh, the scottish people will be and what we would intend to do with that should the scottish people back us in that general election um, and and you know, it comes down to this uh, fundamental point here. I, I understand, sometimes I appreciate, I might get a bit exasperated at these questions, but fundamentally, what do I do if Westminster continues to refuse to accept democratic decisions of the Scottish people? There must come a point where I'm not the one expected to answer these questions. These are questions that have to be pinned on the politicians that are refusing to accept democracy. So your question now is effectively saying, even if more than 50% of the people of Scotland vote uh, for the proposition of independence and Westminster refuses to accept it, what do I do? Well, I actually think if we end up in that position, uh, that is really, really serious because arguably, we're in a position where we we, we simply don't have democracy. So I uh, will do everything I can to ensure that people get their say, that they get that say through a proper uh, democratic constitutional process and that what people in Scotland vote for is honored. Uh, But others really uh, have to answer some of these questions. Those who are denying democracy are the ones that have to answer the questions about the implications and the consequences of that denial of democracy. Kieran Jenkins from Channel 4. Mr Minister, given your strong preference is to resolve this referendum issue with the UK Government and there is going to be a new Prime Minister, will you welcome the new Prime Minister with an open mind and in particular are you willing to compromise on your plans for a referendum? I, I don't know what you mean about compromise, um, so that's a genuine no question. At all to compromise on well, plans you've set out already? It's a new person you'll be dealing with. So let me try and take that question in... in, I obviously take the question in good faith, but let me try to answer it and, and direct it to whoever. I don't know who's going to be the next Prime Minister, but direct it to them in good faith. And do that, I suppose, by going back in time. When we had the agreement in principle with David Cameron uh, that we would have a Section 30 order to put beyond doubt the ability of the Scottish Parliament to legislate. We had a negotiation um, and, you know, we didn't get everything we wanted out of that negotiation, nor did David Cameron's government. So I suppose, you know, I have been part of a process where compromise has actually been at its heart. So in principle, yes, On in terms of the detail, I will be open to a negotiation and in any negotiation you have to be prepared to compromise. What I will not compromise on is the principle of people in Scotland getting uh, the opportunity to cast their votes and make their views known on independence. Um, so in answer to your question, to whoever the new Prime Minister is, uh, as I said Uh, As recently as two weeks ago to Boris Johnson, I'm, I'm not going to, in the face of refusal of democracy by a UK government, to continue to beat my head off that wall. That's why I've set out a path that does not depend on that. But that's not me closing my mind to that path. It is still the best option to have two governments opposed on the substance coming together to agree the process. So if the new Prime Minister is open to that, I will be open to sitting down and in a spirit of compromise, seeking to come to an agreement. I uh, notice... uh, in the media this morning, uh, comments of Rishi Sunak from some time ago saying that Scotland should have uh, the right to referendum after Brexit. Well, it's after Brexit, so maybe uh, if he is to hold to what he said before, there may be some room for discussions there if he emerges as the winner, which uh, based on uh, events over the past 24 hours, I don't think is in any way certain. Uh, so yes, I will be happy to sit down with the new Prime Minister if there is a willingness to do that. I'm not going to allow Scottish democracy to be the prisoner of a UK Prime Minister, and that is the point of principle. Alan Smith from Bower. Thank you, First Minister. You spoke at length about Labour's position on the Constitution, and we've heard uh, Keir Starmer in recent months repeatedly rule out any potential deal or pack with the SNP at a future general election. I wondered if, if that's something that's ever been even discussed within the SNP about reaching a potential agreement with Labour at a future election? Uh, no, um, and I'll come on to uh, coalitions and the sort of SNP's ambitions, uh, or perhaps lack of ambitions in terms of Westminster government. But on Labour's position, first of all, I mean, I, I understand Labour doesn't like the SNP, you know, that's democracy. But the fact of the matter is, whether Labour likes it or not, the SNP has won, overwhelmingly won, every election in Scotland in the past decade. Uh, so the SNP is Scotland's chosen government, Scotland's party of, of choice. So when you have Labour saying that they will never work with the SNP or you know the SNP is somehow beyond the pale, whether or not they want to acknowledge that, what they are doing is just disrespecting Scotland's democratic choices. They're effectively, in the pursuit of votes from the Tories in England, they're effectively giving the proverbial you know, two fingers to Scotland. Well, you know that's Labour's choice, but they should not be surprised if the people of Scotland continue to take a really dim view of that. Labour's message to Scotland appears to be we don't really care about you you're just lobby fodder and if you're not prepared to you know vote for us your votes don't matter well you know I think Labour should understand by now that that is not uh, a view that goes down particularly well in Scotland so that's their choice but they shouldn't be surprised if that kind of attitude keeps delivering them at the kind of election results that they've seen in the past 15 years uh, or so now Um, on the issue of Coalitions. I mean, this really shouldn't come as a surprise to uh, anybody. Uh, the SNP's ambition is not to be in a Westminster government. It's not about Westminster coalitions. Um, what I've said in the uh, what three general elections that I've now uh, led the SNP in, I will say again today, while the SNP is in Westminster, uh, we will always behave, operate and vote in a way that blocks the Tories out of office if we possibly can. We will always be part of, uh, as progressive as we can find, uh, an alliance against the Tories. So, you know, that is always going to be, uh, certainly, for as long as I'm leader, the stance of the SNP. But our objective is not to somehow being a Westminster Government, our objective is to get out of Westminster and to offer Scotland a route out of uh, the lack of democracy from Westminster (coughs) Governance and offer Scotland uh, the choice of independence. So that's what we're focused on and that is what uh, everything I'm talking about today is very much about. Jack Foster from Global. Thank you, Westminster. Assuming that you managed to overcome the hurdles and you can hold a referendum next October on independence, and let's also assume that you were successful, what would there be to stop your opponents um, wanting to call another referendum, say a year and a half, two years, three years, four years after that, given that that precedent has been set by yourself, bearing in mind that the prospect of a Brexit referendum was known in 2014 and the prospect that that would be a UK-wide referendum in the event of a no vote was also known? Well, firstly, the precedent hasn't been set in Scotland of having another referendum a year or a year and a half after the last one. I mean, we're now, what, eight years after? Uh, Well, no, actually, in point of fact, that is not true. And you go back to uh, the 2015 general election campaign and read what I said, you know, then. So circumstances have changed. Democracy is not... A moment in time. But again, it's a bit like my answer to Kieran. I'm afraid if, if you want to, understandably, uh, get answers to questions about what happens when Westminster politicians just refuse point blank to accept democracy in Scotland, then go and ask the Westminster politicians. I'm trying to pursue a democratic path to give people in Scotland uh, the opportunity to choose their own future. And democracy is never just a a moment in time. People in Scotland, if democracy and self-determination is to mean anything, uh, must have that uh, at at all times. Uh, The second point I would make, though, is again, I suppose, challenging some of the premise of of the question. You go back to, I saw on social media a few Uh, days ago, actually, a clip from a debate I did, I think, with Alistair Carmichael in the run up to 2014, apart from uh, sort of, you know, being appalled at sort of uh, hairstyles and stuff back then, showing how long ago it is. Um, You know, it, it was Alistair Carmichael in that clip who was, you know, saying that there wouldn't be any threat to the membership of the EU if Scotland uh, voted uh, no, that threat would come with yes and I think he was making the point that you know David Cameron and the leader of his party and the leader of Labour were all against uh, Brexit so it wasn't the case that people voted in 2014 knowing that Brexit uh, was going to happen. Uh, That actually is the polar opposite of what was put to the people of Scotland Um, in that referendum so look circumstances change i think people should have the right to change their minds when circumstances change but the last point here is people can agree or disagree with me on the the question of independence and as we know public opinion in scotland is is uh, is finally balanced on that question what i believe though most people uh, would agree with is that these are matters that can only be resolved democratically i am seeking to find a democratic route to allow people in Scotland to choose their own future. Um, And you're right, I've faced hurdles along the way because I'm up against politicians who are determined to frustrate a democratic process. uh, They clearly don't feel confident about putting their arguments in a democratic process, so just want to block it. And that is not acceptable, and I'm not going to uh, allow, if I can possibly avoid it, uh, Scotland's choice to be frustrated in that way. Uh, I next have uh, P.A. uh, Hannah Kamekow. Thank you, First Minister. Um, Do you believe there should be a snap general um, election held um, to give the new Tory leader a mandate? And if so, how would that impact your intentions for it to become a de facto referendum? Well, look, I believe in the circumstances that exist in the UK just now, you have an utter chaos at Westminster, a paralysis of government at a time when the need for active, decisive government couldn't be greater, you know, with the cost of living crisis, for example. So yes, I would relish and welcome a general election. if that happens, and I am not in control of that, I will set out exactly uh, what the proposition from the SNP will be. You can absolutely take it. A red independence will be front and centre of that. If you're asking my opinion on what will happen, I don't think there is going to be a snap general election. I, I assume whoever emerges from the Tory leadership contest is going to want some time to establish themselves, to try to recover uh, some of the, the Conservative standing. Um, if They can, and whether that will be possible is another question. So I don't think there is going to be a snap general election, uh, but if there is, I will relish it. It will be the fourth general election I have fought in uh, my less than eight years as SNP leader, which in itself says something about the state of UK politics. Um, And I've set out at that point how the SNP will will fight it and uh, exactly the proposition we'll put forward. But at the moment, I'm going to continue to focus on the situation as it is and pursue the path that I have set out. Right, we are on now to uh, print journalist uh, Libby Brooks, The Guardian. Thanks, first minister. Um, You've been talking about the the right of people to change their mind, particularly post Brexit. um, But polling would certainly suggest there hasn't been a significant change of mind on the essential independence question. And we also know from polling that only a third of people are keen to have a referendum in the next year. And I just wonder what your message is to to them about their democratic wishes. Look, polls, I'm not um, disputing uh, the the broad thrust of your question around polls there. I, I think opinion has changed since 2014 most, uh, the vast majority, virtually all polls have shown a higher support for independence than was expressed on polling day in 2014. Um, we've seen since I made uh, a statement around the, the process in Parliament a couple of weeks ago, we've seen, I think we saw a poll in the Sunday Times, if memory serves me correctly, after that, showing an increase in those people supporting the timescale I'd set out. We've seen polls before that showing uh, that certainly you know, support for a referendum within this term of Parliament is 50% or thereabouts. So polls, you know, are not unimportant. I'm, you know, a politician that regularly cites polls, uh, so I'm not going to rubbish opinion polls that perhaps don't show what I want. But what I know from my experience in uh, the run-up to 2014, it's that it's only really when you're uh, in the uh, the debate for real around independence that people engage, you know, properly in it and begin to absorb the information and and make up their minds. That is the period we're going into now, I hope, in the run-up to a referendum in October next year, failing that, a general election so you know i look forward to getting really stuck in as we are doing to the substance of this debate to putting forward as we're doing today and one theme the positive case for independence and also taking on some of the the more challenging questions that people have about the process of independence the transition uh, to independence that's the kind of substantive debate we should be having uh, we certainly intend to have it and i would challenge uh, anti-independence politicians to make their case on substance for why Scotland should remain within uh, the the current Westminster chaos. Uh, Paul Hutchin from The Record. Thank you. Um, Just to flip Jack Foster's question on its head, uh, if there is a second referendum and the yes side lose it, can you give the Scottish people a categoric assurance that there will not be a third referendum? Well, at risk of uh, sort of generating poll headlines that um, I think I managed the last time I sort of answered a question of this uh, nature that, you know, uh, headlines about my uh, resignation, uh, which I can tell you is not coming anytime soon. All I'd say is I suspect that wouldn't be a matter uh, for me in the future. Um, Look, democracy is never just a simple moment in time. I can't, even if I wanted to, I can't stand here and bind future incumbents of this office and you know people who will be in Butte House after me. These will be decisions that go in line with, with Scottish democracy. Um, so I'll focus on uh, the path that I have set out uh, and uh, seek to pursue uh, that democratic route to independence. The final thing I would say um, is it is a question, obviously, uh, based on a hypothetical. I believe very, very firmly and, uh, i hope that uh, this will be put to the test in october next year but i believe very very firmly that at the next time of asking scotland will vote yes uh, for independence do you believe that this referendum will settle the issue once and for all uh, that is my intention uh, to settle it in favor of scottish independence yes and uh, philip from the courier pj there's already um, a strong Conservative voters' base in parts of Scotland, the borders, Aberdeenshire, places like that, who presumably think that they already have a democratic um, say in, in electing the current UK government. Now, these people will still be around, there will still be a, a fairly strong, right-of-centre, conservative voters' base in Scotland. I mean, what do you say to them, the people that you, you need to convince that, this, that they are suffering a democratic deficit right now? Well, look, that's like... Me saying that in the days when the SNP, you know, when I was first in politics, when the SNP only won, you know, a very small uh, number of seats uh, in particular pockets of the country, that that should somehow. Uh, override the, the majority uh, decisions across across the country. Democracy and a parliamentary democracy, parties that win a majority of seat party, or parties that win a majority of seats win the election. Uh, that is the, you know, I, I don't know what other kind of version of democracy we're meant to, to follow. But what I would say to people, uh, in any part of Scotland, uh, and every part of Scotland matters, and everybody in every part of Scotland matters. But independence is about ensuring that we get the governments we vote for, that the party or parties that win elections govern us, not the opposite of that. And if the Conservatives in an independent Scotland uh, can put forward a proposition that persuades People to vote for it and deliver a parliamentary majority, then the Conservatives will be in government. If Labour manages that, Labour will be in government. If my party manages it, we'll be in government. That is the whole democratic case for independence, that we get the, the governments we vote for, rather than now, uh, where we have and have had, as I said earlier on for the vast bulk of my lifetime, we've had Prime Ministers that Scotland have rejected. That's not democracy. So. It's about having a normal, vibrant democracy in Scotland uh, that delivers the outcomes that people choose. Abby Garton-Crosby from The National. Um, I just wanted to ask, we had a little bit of drama at the beginning of PMQs yesterday where two ALBA MPs were escorted out. So, you know, you talked about compromise um, from the Tories but we don't know who the next leader is going to be. If there is no compromise, will it get to a point where you tell your SNP MPs to boycott Westminster and ask them to leave? And I was going to ask as well, do you know when the next paper is going to be coming? Um, no i don't support a boycott while scotland is part of the uk it is really important that we have mps uh, standing up for scotland's interests uh, to in the best way and to the best extent possible now westminster uh, and the you know the asymmetrical uh, nature of westminster and the democratic deficit means that it's really hard to have scotland's interests uh, properly represented at westminster but people have elected SNP MPs, while we're part of the, the UK, to do a job. And I think it's important that our MPs do that, and they do do that, and they, they do that well. Um, the next paper will be, um, I, I don't have the date for it yet, it will be later in the summer, probably roundabout, given the, the, the summer holiday period and you know other things, like the Edinburgh Festival kicking in, probably uh, around the time that Parliament is uh, going back after the summer, but there is no firm date for it yet. Uh, Alistair Grant from the Scotsman. Uh, hi, First Minister. Thanks very much. Um, the court papers show the Lord Advocate. It uh, was clear that she didn't have the necessary degree of confidence to sign off on the injury 2 legislation. If the Supreme Court throws out the current case on the basis that it's premature as the UK government wants, uh, would you consider introducing it through a, a backbench MSP just so it doesn't need Lord Advocate sign-off, just to ensure that, that uh, the kind of legal issue is at least settled? And can I also just double check just on Kieran's question earlier? Is a date for a referendum next year up for uh, negotiation with the next Prime Minister? Look, I've set out the path I want to take. that is a path I am going to pursue. So I'm not going to start to speculate on the views of a prime minister I don't even know the identity of yet. That's the path I have set out. If somebody wants to come to me and say, "Look, we'll uh, have a Section 30 order and here's the negotiation we want to have," of course I will listen to that. But I've set out th- the path. On the the first part of your question, um, well, firstly I'm not going to, because I don't have the ability to speak for the Lord Advocate, and you also know the constraints that are on me in terms of talking about legal advice. But I do think, just in, in point of fact, uh, there perhaps has been a, a bit of a mischaracterisation of some of uh, what was in the, the referral that was was published. In point of fact, you know, I made a positive uh, decision not to introduce a bill at uh, this stage, instead to ask the Lord Advocate to refer the matter to the, the Supreme Court. So what that means is the pre-legislative processes uh, that you would go through to introduce a bill were not triggered, uh, let alone concluded. Uh, so I think it's important just to be uh, clear on that point. And the reason for making that decision is that this is a contested and genuinely unresolved area of law. So nobody can have confidence that it is either within or out with the uh, powers of the, the Scottish Parliament. That's what we are asking the court to determine. And had we introduced a bill, just hypothetically, all of those people, you know, political opponents who are, uh, you know, seeking to uh, shout about the supposed views uh, of the Lord Advocate wouldn't have accepted uh, the the lawfulness based on that pre-legislative certification process. They would continue, have continued to cast doubt on the lawfulness and it would have gone uh, to court uh, eventually. It may have taken a a long uh, winded uh, route through uh, the court, starting in the court session and and going all the way to the Supreme Court. So this, in my view, is the better route, because more quickly, it gives us the legal certainty uh, that I think everybody, including Parliament, uh, when it comes to legislate, uh, has a right to have. uh, And it does that in a way uh, that means, politicians no longer need to argue about legality and and process because the highest court in the land is literally being asked uh, to determine that question. So politicians can and should uh, get on with the task of debating the substance. That's what we are going to do. Um, And I think every day and week that passes uh, with the absence of any positive case for the union, uh, we'll speak louder and louder uh, to the Scottish people about uh, what that means. Next, uh, we can, you uh, from the Financial Times. Definitely. I, I was actually going to ask more or less the same question to, like, based on what the UK government said this week about you asking a, a hypothetical question to the Supreme Court and whether then, if they agreed, yeah, you would go ahead with the legislation or whether then that would mean the process basically waits until 2024. Um, I, I'm not going to get into that because I, I, I think it's for the court to determine these matters now. Um, I don't think it's a hypothetical question, there is a bill that we are uh, wanting to introduce so It's a very uh, real question and also the power uh, that the Lord Advocate is exercising is a very <coughs> express one under the, the Scotland Act so it's not like, uh, you know, if, if we go back to the case, the, the so-called Keating's case uh, where a member of the public uh, asked a a genuinely hypothetical question of the court, it's it's a different set of circumstances, but these are matters uh, that are not for me to determine, they are matters uh, to be uh, argued before and ultimately decided by the Supreme Court and I think I'm going to, uh, I don't think, I know I'm going to respect the right of the court to do that. Uh, David Ball from The Herald. Uh, Thank you, First Minister. Following on from Alastair's question um, about the Supreme Court, um, do you see any merit in the fact that the UK government's arguing that the court action should happen at the end of the parliamentary process? Obviously, your bill could get amended. It could look very different. Um, So do you see any merit in that argument that maybe the court action will still inevitably happen at the end of the process? Uh, No. I mean, presumably you've looked at the draft bill. We passed, uh, you know, you might have conclude that we have been planning our route through this for some time so we passed the framework bill for referendums what 2020 or before that actually i can't remember but well before the last scottish election so all of the detail about the conduct of referendums is already on the statute book this is a very short bill um and in terms of the the substance of it, you know, there's not that much scope for substantive amendment, So I, I don't think uh, that is a particularly valid argument, but it's not for me to decide that that is for the court, uh, the Supreme Court to uh, decide and I'm not going to, to stray further into that. Uh, only thing I would say coming back to the political sphere, I suppose, is, you know, we know that the UK government and unionist parties are running scared of the substantive debate on independence. Um, all I'd say is looking at the initial response to the Supreme Court action, it looks as if they're running scared of even making a substantive argument on the process. So, yeah, I think all of that speaks volumes. um, But on these issues, it's now for the court to decide, and they will do that um, in the way uh, that they consider appropriate. And I will respect the outcome of the court, whatever it is. Uh, Kieran Andrews from Times. Thanks, First Minister. You have used Brexit as a central um, plank in this argument in the paper today there's a section on EU membership. I just wondered how long you think an independent Scotland will take to get into the EU or the EU single market and how long it will be that an independent Scotland will be out of the UK single market and not in the EU single market. Well we will set out, so I'm not uh, attempting not to answer your questions here today, we will set out a paper um, in full, uh, one of the series of papers on uh, process of uh, regaining EU membership um, which will also cover you know transitionary arrangements both the transition period from a, a vote for independence to scotland becoming independent and the process so we will set all of that out and these are uh, issues that we are continuing to to develop uh, and work on at the moment uh, what i would say at this stage is there will be a process for scotland to uh, go through to be back in the eu and um, you know that is absolutely the case and um, as others have said uh, from the european side uh, there is nothing to say that that would uh, necessarily be a very lengthy process because Scotland has been in the European Union and you know uh, complies with the uh, acquis and of course we are seeking to uh, keep pace with European legislation on for example environmental protections uh, right now but there will be a process and we will respect that process which is why we will set that out in detail Um, but I think the more fundamental point is whatever uh, the the detail of that is in terms of uh, the the progress of Scotland back into the EU, independence is actually the only way now of getting back into the EU and the single market and having the ability to trade in that single market that is, what, eight times the size of the UK, uh, while also protecting our trade across the UK. And, of course, one of the other papers we will set out will be around trade and, and border issues uh, that arise from, from Brexit. So in all of this debate, I don't want to escape or elide any of these issues. Some of these issues are, uh, have genuinely complex questions attached to them. That is why this process we are going through is so important, because when Scotland does come to vote on this, it is important that that vote is informed and that people take a rounded view uh, of the, uh, the challenges of independence, but also, as I would argue, uh, the opportunities which vastly outweigh those challenges. Chris Green from the Eye. Thanks very much, First Minister. Um, Just to go back to Abby's question on the Alba um, protest yesterday, um, do you think that helped or hindered the independence cause? And if an SNP MP were to do similar, would you support them? I I didn't pay that much attention to it, so I'm not going to focus on that. Your protest always has a place. Um, SNP MPs, I mean, Ian Blackford was uh, ejected from the House of Commons not that long ago. I can understand. I've never been a member of the House of Commons, as you know, but I can understand for uh, Scottish MPs how deeply frustrating that environment uh, must be. But I'm focused on uh, not protest here. I'm focused on giving Scotland a path to choosing independence, and I think that is much, much more important. Um, I'm not. I'm the First Minister. I'm not. Uh, my job is not to uh, indulge in, in gesture politics. My job is to. Find ways forward uh, on this and on other issues, and that's what I'll focus on doing. Simon Johnson from the Telegraph. Thank you, First Minister. Just going back to Alice's question. I mean, it did say in the referral uh, the lot that it was that the Lord Advocate does not have the necessary degree of confidence that um, a referendum bill would be within uh, Hollywood's powers. So how? Is it possible that you could be confident that you could introduce such a bill, given that was the assessment in the referral? And secondly, if I'm just ask about something else briefly, um you said in March that you'd be willing to take in a Ukrainian refugee into your home if needed. Well, we saw the super sponsor scheme uh, suspended earlier this week because uh, of a shortage of accommodation. And I just wondered if you'd be now uh, taking that step. Thank you. Um, on, the, on the first question, I was simply... Um which I know will be uh, always important to the Daily Telegraph, I was simply stating a fact. I'm not speaking for the Lord Advocate, nor am I trying to uh, sort of negate anything that is in the referral. I'm simply stating, in fact, because I think some of the reporting was that I had been blocked from introducing a bill. Uh, We didn't go through the, the the pre-introduction processes, uh, I took a decision not to go down that path but to go down the path of asking the Lord Advocate so that's just well, a, Lord a Lord statement In fact, well, that. I don't speak for the Lord Advocate neither do you, um, and therefore I think it's probably He's important a that a I just I'm not I'm not entirely sure you. Uh, well, why you don't understand this, there is a, a set out process for the pre-introduction period of a bill. We haven't gone through that. That is just a simple statement of, of fact. Line, well, but, but the other point, well, no, it's not. I've set out why, because uh, I think this is a better route. But the other point is, and, and perhaps people just need to move their arguments on with you kind know, of reality now. This idea, this the question that you've put to me, uh, is based on, certainly when it comes from opposition politicians, this notion that I'm somehow trying to avoid legal reality. I have literally asked the Lord Advocate to get a determination on the law from the highest court in the land. So I'm not trying to escape uh, whatever turns out to be legal reality here. I'm actually trying, for the benefit of all of Scotland, to get clarity on that. So I think some of these arguments are perhaps a little bit dated, uh, given the developments we've seen in the past uh, couple of weeks and um, on your second question um, look, I've always said and say again um, if that is a, a an appropriate thing to do I will always play my part i think i've also said you know i'm not sure uh, that living with the first minister for our, somebody seeking refuge given the scrutiny and the publicity around that would be something people would want to do but that Uh, is something that uh, I will continue to consider um, on an ongoing basis. My job as First Minister, though, is to make sure that we are not just giving refuge to uh, one uh, person from Ukraine, but that we're able to give refuge to thousands of people from Ukraine. Uh, Regrettably, we've paused the scheme, hopefully temporarily, in order to ensure that those already here and those who have visas and have the right to come here are supported into permanent Accommodation, not just temporary accommodation. Uh, but that actually has come from the fact that, you know, there are 7,000 Ukrainians, around about 7,000 already in Scotland. That is more than double the 3,000 that we initially indicated we thought we would be able to support. And of all of the visas... Uh, granted in the UK, and not all of these have arrived yet, of course, but of all of the visas, you know, Scotland with 8% of the UK population, 20% of all visas uh, are for people who want to come to Scotland. So Scotland is more than playing a part within the UK. And I think it's really important that we continue to do so. But that means ensuring uh, that we support people from temporary accommodation into permanent accommodation, the the pause will allow us to do that and then hopefully in months to come uh, give refuge to even more people. Uh, Rachel Watson from The Sun. Thank you, First Minister. Um, you've criticised the Conservatives for concentrating on internal battles while there's a cost of living crisis impacting families across the UK at the moment. But is that not a bit hypocritical when you're here talking about independence, how you're going to get a referendum and have your government working on these documents? And also, you've turned a lot of your political attack lines on Labour today and in recent days. Are you concerned about a Labour government and what that could mean for your independence push? Uh, no, I'm not particularly concerned uh, about Labour. I'm just trying to uh, sort of make sure my uh, views are, are known across the, the range. But I think it's well, people in Scotland will make their views known on Labour. And uh, Labour seems intent on pursuing a, a position in relation to Scotland that has relegated it to you know, third place. In Scottish politics, it's entirely up to Labour if they want to continue repeating the mistakes of the past. You know, be my guess, but I don't uh, think it is going to go down well in Scotland. And on the first part of your question, no, I don't accept that. You know, some internal Tory leadership contest that has arisen out of utter chaos and is paralysing the UK government uh, and the UK at a time of such need uh, across the country is a world away from having a democratic debate about how Scotland equips itself with the resources, the powers and the levers to better address challenges like the cost of living. Independence is not abstract. Independence is about how we build a good economy. It's about how we protect public services. It's about how we ensure our place in the world and and trade across the single market. So it is about how we... Uh, stop a situation or, or move on from a situation where Scottish governments so often are trying to address these issues with one hand tied behind our back at best and equip the Scottish Parliament with the powers we need to properly address all of these issues. Michael Blackley. Michael yeah. Thank you. If I could just return to the issue of the Supreme Court, you're making clear today that you need the legal clarity from the Supreme Court before introducing and progressing independence referendum legislation. So what does happen, just to be clear, if the Supreme Court agrees with the UK government that it would be premature to make a ruling at this stage? Will you really progress that legislation without that legal clarity from the Supreme Court? Well, firstly, I'm not just making that clear today. I made that clear two weeks ago. I'm sorry if it's taken a little bit of time for the the Daily Mail to to catch up with it, but um, uh, there we we have it. And look, I'm going to let the court decide these issues now. Um, I'm the one who is not just seeking a democratic path forward for Scotland, but a democratic path that is undeniably and indisputably uh, lawful. Um, And therefore, I'm going to let the court decide. And I will respond to you know, whatever the outcomes of that are uh, at appropriate moments. But I think having uh, asked uh, the Lord Advocate to ask the highest court in the land for a determination, um, it's important and appropriate to allow the Supreme Court to do its work. Uh, Right, I think that uh, now concludes uh, questions. uh, In which case, can I thank you all uh, very much for your attendance? You can read this paper and the previous one on the www.gov.scot website. We hope you've enjoyed this bonus podcast offering. We do do these from time to time when something exciting happens, but we'll be back to our normal Friday podcast schedule as from tomorrow. Join us then.